Well, I don't know about you, but I, I, do, get, I, I do get really frustrated sometimes. Not when I'm playing golf, but, uh, but I, you know how life is. You really get frustrated. It, it just, you know, it just gets burned. And though for the last, uh, last couple of weeks, um, well, we, Dee and I went up to see my mom turn 97, and uh, 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 she's, uh, she's, uh, she, she's a lot better. She, she's good. She, she, she's enjoying the life she knows she has, and she doesn't get mad or anything, but she keeps wanting to go home with Jesus. And, and uh, you know, she wouldn't... Uh, she used to always get her hair done and always, you know, had a permanent, and she hadn't, she hadn't been doing that, and so uh, we talked her into getting permanent. I took her, and uh, she said, well, I really don't want one. And I said, why not? She says, well, you know, I really don't need one. She says, I'll be gone in three days. And I, <laughs> I said, how long have you been saying you're going to be gone three days? And she said, well, I don't remember how long. She says, I'm just, uh, you know, the Lord's going to call me home. And I said, evidently the Lord don't want you. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, but, but you, can, you can sense the frustration that she has. Of course, we're a lot younger. Uh, well, maybe most of us are a lot younger than 97. But, uh, but we, uh, we still have the frustrations in life. And we we come to church on Sunday, and uh, we don't want to, we don't want to let anybody else know about our frustrations, and because we're Christians and we're supposed to be happy and we're supposed to feel good, and and we know we're going to heaven and we got all these things all figured out, and so uh, we're everything's just great and fine. But down underneath, uh, we're frustrated. We're frustrated. We're just we're dissatisfied with life. We we don't like what's happened to us. In uh, this past week, there were. There were there were two people I I I didn't even know, uh, but uh, we're standing there and uh, we got we start talking and and both of them just uh, um, just start talking about how uh, things have happened in their life lately that uh, they uh, they said we we weren't expecting and uh, this one lady says you know I've lived a, a good life and. And I didn't tell her I was uh, a priest or, or a preacher or anything like that. That didn't even come up. And she, all of a sudden, she started telling me about how she's done these good things for God. And, 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 uh, and, and things have happened in her life in just recently that she says, I just can't believe they're happening to me because of who I am and what I've done what, and, you know, and, and, and what, I, what I try to do with my life. And so we... Uh, we face the frustrations, we face the struggles and the pains and disappointments of life. We like to bury them. Uh, we don't like, we don't like uh, to talk about them much. But uh, we don't like what's going on because things are happening to us that are, that are unexpected. I have a friend that, that called me a couple weeks ago and, and, and told me that um, he, he has uh, uh, lymphoma Lymphoma, yeah, lymphoma, and I just found out about it, and and it's you know it's it's not supposed to be this way, it's not supposed to be happening this way, and there are individuals who I've talked to who their their faith is is rock solid, and yet when they come up against these hardships in life, boom, it it just rocks their faith, 
and many of them are just hanging on by a string. Uh, they, they just can't endure the frustrations of life. And, and uh, I think back many years ago, bringing up two kids, uh, and the struggles we had with them, and uh, there was a certain age group that I wish that we could have just boxed them up and put them in the back room and, and uh, let them come out at 19 or 20, uh, but, and then ship them off to college. But, 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 you know, you parents that have two and three and four kids, I just, it's just amazing to me. I can, I'm amazed that you can do that and, uh, and still smile occasionally. But it's, uh, it, it is just the frustrations of life. Now, I'm sure that if we were to start on the uh, back row uh, of uh, the congregation this morning and, and we were brave enough and we felt good enough that we could reveal our frustrations and really just talk honestly about ourselves that, that some of us, and if I was sitting over here and I, I started listening to what was going on by so-and-so back here on the back row, I'd say, yeah, that's bad, but you haven't heard. You haven't heard bad yet. You know, I can up one up. I can one up anybody, and uh, and we think that we have it's, it's a lot worse in our life, and so we go through the we go through life just frustrated, and and yet we want to be a good Christian. We want to be a you know a, a good believer, and we want God to be pleased with us. And yet, when you come right down to it, not only are we not only are we frustrated with life, but we're just kind of mad at God. We just we're we're ticked off at him. We don't want, we're not going to say that. And we feel bad and we, we hate ourselves because you know, that's the way we're feeling. But when they come right down to it, we, we're, we're ashamed of the fact that we may be mad at God. It's like we haven't heard of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, how mad he got at God, or some of the Psalms that we read about the frustration and the anger that's coming out toward God by those writers. Well, when I, when I became a Christian, and when I, um, uh, even after I became a pastor, of uh, a Baptist church, uh, there were some things in the Bible I didn't read. Uh, one of them was Leviticus. I mean, Leviticus, it, it starts out with uh, a burnt offering, and then it has a grain offering, then another burnt offering, and then you got you know, this kind of offering. And it's, I said, why, why, waste, why waste your time reading Leviticus? Another one I wouldn't read was Numbers, because, you know, I was flunking math. And, uh, and numbers is numbers, you know, and they're just kind of counting people and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and more, more grain offerings and burnt offerings are being offered and, and just passed by that. Even when I was in Bible college, I, I, I confess, I lied. You know, we had an Old Testament survey class and you were supposed to read, you know, every page of the Old Testament and then sign this little thing that you did. Well, I, I did look at the page, you know. I mean, it was, I saw all the words, but, you know, it was just boom, boom, boom. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, but when it comes to Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes is something else. And uh, throw up Ecclesiastes if it's, if it's back there. I think it is. And, uh, yeah, there it is. Um, well, just, just look, at, look at Ecclesiastes. And in the second verse, you can understand why why. Why waste your time in reading something like that? Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, the sun also goes down. 
and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns toward and around to the north. The wind whirls around continually and comes again uh, on its circuit and it just goes on. You can just read on and on and on and then you go, what in the why should I Why should I waste my time reading Ecclesiastes? What a pain. I mean, you're talking about misery. There's misery right there. Everything's vain. Everything, everything is terrible. Everything is wrong. When you read Ecclesiastes, if you ever read Ecclesiastes, you're gonna, you know this, that Hallmark is never going to make a movie about Ecclesiastes. You know, there's no, there's no good endings when, uh, when you read Ecclesiastes. It's, this, is just, this is just life. I mean, this is just the beginning of what Solomon is about to write to tell us how he faced life and how he looked at life. When I, when I was a kid, and, and uh, the, only, the only redeeming value of Ecclesiastes that I remember was uh, uh, the birds. How, how many of you old folks remember the birds? Not the movie. <laughs> yeah. Now some of you are not raising your hand. I know, I know you listen to the Beatles and the birds, and, and, uh, and they, they sang, turn, turn, turn. And as a matter of fact, we're going to hear that. Are we going to hear that? Okay, we can. We heard it at 8 o'clock. And, uh, and to everything, turn, turn, turn. Now, I was sitting in church one day during one of the great Baptist sermons that were going on, and, and um, this kid leaned over and, and said, uh, you know, the, the birds, that song, they got it out of the Bible. And I go, they did. And he said, yeah, it's, on, it's in the Bible. And... and uh, you know, at our church, we were burning Beatles records. You know, we we you know we didn't have anything to do with the world, but but I I said really, and he says yes, and he says it's in Ecclesiastes three, and so when I got home, I, I looked up, I found finally found Ecclesiastes and and read, it, and there it is, it's a, it's in the Bible, but that was the only redeeming value, and we think that you know we we uh, we we read. Ecclesiastes 3 about the different seasons and everything, and we say, man, that is just wonderful and good. But Solomon wasn't putting that in a good light. He is saying, listen, everything's happening, everything is going on. He says, you have no control over it. Absolutely no control over it. And there are seasons, there are things that are going to be happening in your life that you have no control over. Now, I know that some people refuse, and I have a I have, a, I have a friend who's a preacher who refuses to read Ecclesiastes. He said he got halfway through it one time. He said, I'll never, I'll never read it again. I was, I was in my 30s before I read it. And if you get a chance, when you go home, read Ecclesiastes. And don't read one or two chapters. Read all 12 chapters. Because I really, if you really want to get depressed, you've got to read all 12 chapters at, at, uh, at and, and, you know, just take a little bit here and a little bit there. It's not going to work. You really, to get the full effect, you need to read Ecclesiastes in its entirety. As a matter of fact, when uh, the Jews, uh, every year at uh, uh, Sukkot, 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 the festival of booze, when they make their little tents that reminds them of their dwelling in, in uh, the wilderness, every year someone will read the entire book of Ecclesiastes out loud in its entirety. They, that's important, as important as it is. And yet those who look at Ecclesiastes, and I've heard say, these are the randings of a crazy man who at 
one moment in his life, in chapter 12, he has this clarity of thought and he writes what he does. But there are those who, I've, and I've heard a number of preachers say that Solomon is in hell because, well, you read Ecclesiastes, he fell from grace and he, he uh, walked, turned his back on God and, and he walked away from God and he had all these terrible things that were going on in his life. And, uh, and so why waste our time reading Ecclesiastes? Well, it's because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible that Jesus read. And uh, it, it's an important because Solomon has discovered what life is all about. And he discovers how to live with the reality of life, and it's profound. Last year I read a book uh, entitled, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies that I Love. Written by Kate Bowler, who is, Bowler, who is uh, a professor at Duke University. And she said that she had, she had she'd married her her, uh, her dream man, they had a one-year-old son, and she had her dream job at this early age. She said it was something she had dreamed about, and she got it. But yet, uh, as all this is happening, she's having pains in her stomach. She's going to numerous doctors to uh, find out what's wrong. No one can find out. One day, she gets a phone call from Duke uh, uh, University Hospital and she is told to get to the hospital immediately because she has stage four cancer. She said the only thing that she could say was, but I have a one-year-old son. She said she didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do, but as she's walking across the campus on her way to the hospital, she's calling her mom and dad and, and her husband and, and, and a couple of her friends, and they put her in the hospital, and in the night, uh, she said the night before surgery, that she's laying there in bed and her one-year-old son's crawling all over her and she would look at her mom and dad and she'd say, what am I going to do? And she'd look at her husband and say, well, what am I going to do? She looked at her friend and she said, what am I going to do? And her friend looked at her and said, you're going to die. It's not very encouraging. Not very encouraging at all. And yet Solomon says that the most profound truth that he could find in life was that we're going to die. Every single one of us. A couple of you might be like my mom who can't wait to get out of here and go on. And the rest of us, we, uh, we've got a way to go, we think. And we, made, and, and we probably do. And yet, down in the back of our minds, we know that we're going to die, to die. And when you read those 11 verses of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is wrapping it really all up in what he's going to talk about. But he is saying that no matter who you are and what you've accomplished, where you've been, who knows you, all of it is absolutely worthless, meaningless, and it's all vain. And because all of that is vain and worthless, and he says, then you come up and you die. And so Solomon writes throughout Ecclesiastes, not in a ghoulish way, but he does write about what he's discovered. And in any translation that you have, it, when you go back to the, the, first, uh, the first few verses where uh, Solomon says, vanity of vanities, and 
in verse 2. Every translation has, tries to explain or tries to give you the idea of what Solomon is writing. It is the fact that whether it is translated vanity or whether it's translated as meaningless or whether it's translated as worthless, they're trying to express what the Hebrew word of hevel actually means. And so when we read that the vanity of vanities or worthless of worthless or, or meaningless of meaningless, Solomon is actually saying it's worse than that. Because what he is saying is that our life is nothing more than a breath. That's all it is. As a matter of fact, hevel, hevel, whatever, however you pronounce uh, that in Hebrew, it is the name of Abel. Abel was nothing more than a breath. What happened? His brother killed him. And in Hebrew, Cain's name means acquire. In chapter 2, Solomon talks about all the things that he acquired and all the, all the, the, the wisdom that he, had that he had acquired. Many of the Old Testament scholars uh, think that, that Solomon is, is really telling us the story of Cain and Abel once again. So Solomon is saying that your life is nothing more than a breath, but it's even worse than that. Because what Solomon is actually saying with that word is that it is a shallow breath. It's not a deep breath at all. That your life, my life, is nothing more than a shallow breath. And so when you came out of the womb and you took that first breath, you inhaled that first breath, you have been living now on exhaling that short breath. Solomon said, that's how short your life is. Now, aren't you glad you came this morning? I mean, I hope, I hope that you're feeling bad and depressed and, and, and uh, not like, life's not worth living. I, I hope you're there. Uh, because you have, if you're not, I've, I've failed uh, as a preacher this morning. <clears throat> but that's where we are. And what really set Solomon off was that in this shallow breath of a life, all the junk that happens to us, all this stuff that goes on where we have it all figured out, we have the plan, we, we know why God does these kind of things, and, and uh, if, if we uh, make a bargain with God, God, God is obligated to do certain things with us. We, we have it all figured out. And what Solomon is saying is, you can have it all figured out. And you'll never have it figured out. You'll go absolutely crazy trying to figure out what's going on in life. And so, as Solomon looked at life, he gives us examples of these shallow breath life experiences that just drove him crazy. Like in chapter 6, he, he writes, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given great, great riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him the power to eat of it. This is vanity and it's of an evil affliction. Now, how many of, 
us know of individuals who have worked hard all their life and six months before they retire and go see the world, they die. They have a stroke. You know, it's not fair. When, uh, when Didi and I got married, we uh, got married in a fever. How did... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, we were in Bible college, uh, and uh, we got married because we were in love, not because we had to. But, uh, but in a Bible college, in a very conservative fundamental Bible college, if you got married at the wrong time, it was because you had to. That was, that was the gossip. But anyway, uh, we got married in our uh, uh, sophomore year. And, uh, you know, before, my mom and dad was paying for my education. Dee Dee's mom and dad was paying for their education. We could eat. And we, you know, no problem. But now that we got married, I couldn't get my mom and dad to send me a dime. And, uh, I mean, you're on your own. And uh, so, at lunch, was, it was peanut butter and jelly every day. I went home. Had, had lunch, and it wasn't a lot of peanut butter and jelly, because we couldn't afford a lot of peanut butter and jelly, and it was always bread from the outlet, bread outlet store that was one day away from going moldy. You know, that's, that was it. And, and so, no one, you know, there'd be guys at school, they'd go, hey, let's go, let's go uh, to Shoney's, or let's, you know, let's go get something to eat for lunch, and I go, no, I can't do it, because I didn't have any money. But now, I can go to McDonald's anytime I want to. And I'm proud of the fact that I go to McDonald's. I know some of you health nuts, you know, or don't think, but McDonald's, I can go to McDonald's. I just don't go to McDonald's because I'm cheap. And uh, so the other day, or it's been a few months, but I, I'm at home and I, I, uh, I make me a sandwich, put all this stuff on the sandwich, and then I chip and get me something to drink, and I go out on the porch. And I'm looking at my phone, and I came across this article. 20 things to stop eating or drinking after 40 years old. You know, it's not that I really needed to read that, but I uh, had to get to 40 first. But, uh, but anyway, I go, okay, I'll read that. I go down the list, and then I look over to what I'm eating and drinking, and seven of the things are in that list of 20. You're not supposed to eat or drink after 40 years old. And I'm, I'm thinking, what is this? I mean, what, where do they get off telling me what I can eat and drink? You know, they, it's, just, it's just not fair. But yet, that's the way it is. We, we work and we strive and we, we try to, to accomplish some things, and yet when we get to a point where we can enjoy it, for many people, it's over. Life is over. They can't do it. And they're frustrated with it. Or in chapter 9 and verse 11, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. For those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance by being in the right place at the right time. People will never predict when hard times come like fish in a net and birds in a trap people are caught by a sudden tragedy. How many things have popped up in your life that wasn't supposed to pop up? How many of you have got a phone call in the middle of the night and, and was told of an incident in your family that you would have never, you would have never dreamed of? 
continue to happen. When I read that part in uh, verse 11 about the fastest runner always wins the race, I always, you know, you always think of the old uh, um, uh, fable, Aesop's fable, uh, the tortoise and the hare. Who's who's supposed to win the race? Who is supposed to win the? Who is going to win the race every single time? It's the rabbit. It's the hare because he's the fastest. And who is supposed to win every war? It's always the, the person who, who uh, uh, is the strongest. They, are, they, will, they will win every single time. It's just no, no thought in our mind that th- it, this is the way it's going to happen. Because they're the fastest and they're the strongest. And yet we know there's absolutely no sure things in life. Nothing is for sure. And if you're a betting man or a woman, Solomon is saying, if you want to bet on a sure thing, don't use your rent money. Don't use the grocery money. Because if you're going to bet on a sure thing, you're probably going to lose that money. There is nothing sure in this life. Or in chapter 2, he uh, writes for the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what value of my, what is the value of my wisdom? This is all meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer or any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. You know, our, uh, the, last, the last United States president to pass away was uh, George Bush. And, and uh, in, in that moment, uh, in, in the moments that followed his death, the whole world knew about it. And it didn't matter what political side that you were on, George Bush got a lot of uh, uh, nice comments and... and and praise and uh, for his uh, work in public service and his military career and his business career. It was, uh, he was just a, a kind of a remarkable, remarkable man. And yet this week, I, I, the thought hit me, how many, on average, how many people die every day in the United States? And I looked it up, and 7,500 people die on an average day in the United States alone. On the day George Bush died, 7,000 people died. And we didn't know anybody except George Bush. And as Solomon looked at that, he says, why, why do we do all these things in life if, whether you're well known or you're just nothing but a poor beggar on the street, if you die at the same time, both will be forgotten. You'll be forgotten. Everyone will be forgotten. like my aunt who died of Alzheimer's for 10 long years. I even asked, why did God forget her? And then you have individuals who die so young. It's not fair. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're on a little farther in chapter 2 in verse 18 and 19. He said, I've come to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave it to others, everything that I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? 
Yet they will control everything that I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. Now think about this. All of us who have, um, who have earned and worked for our riches, and uh, we have, we have go- we've gone long and hard to, to, to provide and, and to make a little money and to put uh, some money away. When we pass on, who's going to get all that? Well, it's going to be someone who, even though they may be family, uh, they're not going to come to your grave. I mean, once they cash that check from the bank, if you have any money left for them, they're not coming. They're, they're not coming any longer. I, I did a funeral for a, for a fellow that uh, uh, the, the family cremated him, and, and uh, they couldn't get together about when they wanted to have a funeral. And, uh, and so uh, I don't know what happened to Dad for those six months, but I get a call, phone call from the funeral home, and they want to know if I remembered, you know, this family. To, and I go, yeah. And they say, well, they don't want to have a funeral now. And, and so uh, it came, and, you know, put Dad on, on the table, and we, we did a funeral for him, and uh, they took Dad home and put him in a storage shed. Solomon says, when I look at my life and, and all that I've uh, accomplished, is that it's, all, it's only meaningless. I was reading an article this week by uh, uh, Rabbi Sachs, and he uh, mentioned a book, the name of it is called The Denial of Death, written by Ernest Becker. And Becker wrote this book in 1973. In 1974, he won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for the book in 1975. He was to be awarded the Pulitzer Prize, but he died before he got the award. And in his book, he said that the reason why we do so much in life is because we do things that uh, will live on after we're gone, or we think that will live on after we're gone. Any power, any wealth, any ed- the education that we, we go through, the achievements of life, He said it all be left to others. In reality, we're nothing but a failure. You know, Solomon, there's more wisdom in chapter 7. He gives us some good advice. He says don't eavesdrop on other people's conversations. Uh, the reason why is because they may be talking about you and uh, you know, the way you talk about other people. Uh, he talks about in chapter 8 about how you know, good people, they receive what bad people should receive and vice versa. And there's a lot of things that I could say about Ecclesiastes, but in chapter 5 it says the less you speak, the better off you are. So I'm stopping right here. But I want to end with this. In chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, Solomon writes, In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. What Solomon says for us good church people and godly people who have it all figured out, and we've got our little plaques there that we can look at when bad things are happening to us, we have our little favorite verses and our formulas that we've all got figured out. 
that we need, and they are good. And, they, and, I, and I've got my verses too that I always go to. But when you think you can figure out life, Solomon says, you're wasting your time. You are absolutely wasting your time to try to figure out life. Because he says, you will never figure out what God is doing every time. And if you're prone to say, well, when something happens to you, well, there's a lesson in all this, and I just got to find what the lesson is, there's probably no lesson to learn. Because when God wanted to teach you a lesson, when, when you, read, you read in the Bible, when God wanted to teach a lesson, it was very obvious what He wanted to do and what He wanted to teach. God isn't going around doing things to you and, and, and trying to miss the lesson here and trying to get you to figure out what the lesson is. But it's something more important than that. It's something even deeper than that. If you think that you can figure it out, Solomon says that you'll go absolutely crazy trying to figure out what God's going to do or what's going on in life. Because there will be a point in your life when every door will slam shut, every window will close, and it will seem like even God disappears, you hear nothing. And in the silence of that moment, what are you going to do? When all of your plans and all of your sure things not come out the way you thought. What will you do? Dallas Willard said, it is spiritually formative to be dissatisfied and unable to resolve it. We don't like being there. It's uncomfortable being there. It, it, we don't think, but we're Christians. We have the Bible. We're not supposed to be in that place. And yet, that's where God wants us to be. At times in our life. Now, I read something last night that says you should never preach more than one sermon from Ecclesiastes. Well, I'm, I may do it next Sunday too. Sad to say, I, I know I shouldn't put this out, uh, but I, I'm supposed to preach next Sunday too. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to let that out. Um, um, but anyway... Even though that Solomon wrote all the, thing, all the things that, are, that we've looked at and we've read this morning, he observed it, he wrote it down, and he said, this is what I discovered in life. Solomon was ultimately a great believer in life. Are you kidding? After all that mess, Solomon was a great believer in life. Solomon will show us what goes on what went on in his life, what he discovered in his life. But this week, read, read all of Ecclesiastes. Read it at one time. Take 15 minutes and, and read it. Because I don't think you're depressed enough. You, you need a little bit more. But you know, one thing great about being an Anglican is this. It doesn't matter how dark and depressing and how boring a sermon is on Sunday morning. Yet once that's all over with, we get to come to this prayer rail, and we get to kneel, and we get to experience once again the real presence of Christ in our life. That even though that we don't have it figured out, even though that we can't figure it out, 
And this week we got a phone call that it, in, in, in my first reaction was why, and then it, it came back to me, I, hey, don't try to figure it out. But this morning we get to come and we get to experience the one who gives us not only eternal life, life in the future, but He gives us life today. That even with the doors closed and the windows shut and the silence that's all around us, that we get to experience the presence of Christ in our life. And remember that His life is given for us. And His life is given to us. Let us pray. Father, even though that we find ourselves uh, in places where there is no explanation of why things happen and why things are going the way that they should, yet we find, we find that in You, there is always not only just a spark of hope, but there is a glorious hope that you give to each one of us. And even in this short breath of a life, all that we go through in this short breath of a life, that you are with us. You are there every step, every moment. And you're helping us through the dark, the unknowing, Because when we find ourselves in the dark and the unknowing place, there is only one place that we can look to. There is only one direction that we can look And that's to You. And that is enough in life. We thank You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.